So a few years ago, I was 16 years old, and I had, yeah, it seems just a couple days ago I was 16. It feels like it was 30 years ago I was 16. <laughs> but uh, I was in a parking lot. My dad was teaching me how to drive on ice. I'd already had my license at this point, but he was teaching me how to drive on ice, which at the, at the time, I didn't care because we lived in Texas. <laughs> that was a rarity for us to even have ice in a parking lot, much less any kind of winter precipitation. I was like, this is, this is stupid, Dad. But it was kind of fun. We're losing control in a parking lot on purpose. Luckily, there's no cars and there's no light poles. Um, but it came in handy December of 2019 when Pastor Brian Persley asked me the question, can you drive in snow? <laughs> Actually, yes. Better than most Texans can. I Yes, I can drive in snow. <laughs> so here we are. And it's come in handy because I've had to do it so far, and honestly, I love it. Uh, so I'm sure that all of us have so many different stories that we can tell, countless stories. Um, hopefully most of them good. Unfortunately, some bad. Uh, stories of lessons that our, our dad taught us. And here it is, Father's Day. And what I want us to look at today is attributes of God as it pertains to Him being the Father. It's one of the most comforting thoughts and most personal and intimate places in the Bible that we see of God is Him as a Father. And so I want us to look at those attributes and look at what the Father is. And so, so many times we try to, um, in parenting... And this may be Father's Day, but this, we can learn something from this for both mom and dad. This is something we can learn just about parenting in general. And so many times we try to parent like, well, I don't want to be like my parents. So I'm going to try my best to parent my children the way that I think is best and not like they did because I thought they did a bad job. Or you might think that your parents are amazing and you want to try to do exactly what they did which ends up making like financial mistakes early on in your life and thinking that you can have what they have now, and it doesn't work. But So I want us to look at a couple of different things. If you have your Bibles or your tablets, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 129, and we're going to kind of look at the story a little bit here at the first of the message of, of Adam and Eve and kind of look at that dynamic between them and God and kind of what that looks like. So if you found Genesis 129, if you don't know where it's at, it's at the very, very beginning, the very first book. It says this, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So already we see that God is a provider. On top of just this, on top of just food, everything that was created before man was spoken into existence. The sun, the earth, the trees, the animals, the cosmos was just spoken into existence because God is all-powerful. But with man, he took dust from the ground, used his own two hands, and took the time to form man. It was unlike any other creature because man was made in the likeness of God. So aside from just food, he's like, hey, Here's the entire garden. 
everything is yours, and I even made you just like me. But he set one rule, and he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else, but he still had a set of rule, don't do this. So no other facet of creation we see has the privilege of saying, I was made in the likeness of God, except for mankind. One of the most natural tendencies of a good father is to provide for his family, or at least it should be a tendency to want to provide for your family, to do good. Um, one of the best gifts, the most important and precious gifts that you can ever give your children is yourself. The best thing you can give your kids is yourself. You can give them all the toys and the cool little knickknacks and all everything they want to. When they get older, you can buy them all the most expensive cars and clothes, but none of it will amount to anything if you don't give of yourself, if we don't give of our time. And it may be something small and simple, like when our kids are young, like maybe we're binge-watching Netflix one day, and our child's like, Daddy, 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 and won't stop. <laughs> and all she wants you to do is acknowledge that she has colored half of a coloring book page. That's not a lot to accomplish and you know but in her little world it's it's very important and the fact that I will turn around and acknowledge that is very important to her and so you know we have to realize those different things that are going on and just try to provide ourselves give ourselves to them give our time so at, at a young age our children begin to they begin to form their own opinions, they, their personalities begin to take shape, and we have to make sure that as parents that they don't form in negative ways against us. Like right now, I have young kids, and I feel like at this point in time, it's the most crucial point in parenting because this is the beginning of their life. Everything that they're going to be later on is going to stem from how I raise them now, and that's a huge pressure. It really is. Because there's some days where I feel like I am just failing as a parent. Like, I can't believe that she did that. Is it a result of my, my parenting? Why is she acting this way? Um, but we have to be careful not to you know, lose interest in them or, or draw away. We have to invest in them in order for them to turn out the way that we want them to, which is, you know, respectful members of society that respect people. And we can see right now that some parents did not do that in the world. That's okay. We pray for them. <laughs> so God gave of himself. Something else is really awesome that he gave. So he did all this. He set the rule, right? Don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One rule. They had paradise. And they didn't know right from wrong at this point. Like, they were completely free from sin. It was easy. But the serpent came along, tempted Eve. She ate, tempted Adam. He ate. That's the story. So, at that moment that they ate, though, they knew they messed up. And they're like, uh oh. And so they ran and hid. And they had made these clothes for themselves made out of leaves. Now, I've personally never worn clothes made out of leaves.
But I can imagine that would not be comfortable. I can imagine that would be itchy just all over the place, and it would not be fun. So, but our children do the same thing. When, when, when they mess up and they know that they messed up, like they will run and hide or they will like cower down because they're like, oh, I done messed up. Like my oldest, she's gotten better after some correction, but she's gotten better. So she, you know, like most kids, asks a lot of questions. But she asked the question, why? And not out of general wonderment, but more so out of defiance. Go to bed. Why? Go brush your teeth. Why? You know, it's just... And so I told her, I said, if you don't stop, you're going to get in so much trouble. You're going to get grounded from everything you own, which actually I own. And I remember one day she did it, and her face got red, and she was like, and she looked, and she stared at me like a deer in headlights, and I, it's hard not to laugh when our kids make mistakes sometimes, <laughs> and especially when we're trying to scold them, it's hard not to laugh at their reactions. Um, but she, she freaked out. She knew she messed up. She, she knew she messed up. So I just, go. Go do it. <laughs> so... Adam and Eve do the same thing. They realize they messed up. And, you know, at this point, they're used to having conversations and communion and, and walking in the garden with God. Like, it's a very close relationship with God. And so if you look at Genesis 3, verse 8, it says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So... I know for me, I think it's just a parent thing, and we see it later on in the, in, the, in, the, in the chapter that God does this, but we ask our kids questions, these almost rhetorical questions when they mess up. Like, we already know the answer, but somehow we still have to ask the question, why did you do that? Or we'll ask, did you do what I just told you not to do? We know they did it, but we're still asking them anyways, and God's like, did you eat of the fruit I specifically told you not to eat? What did you just do? So, it, it's, it's funny to me because the punishment that we see for this and before is, is death. If you eat of the fruit, you're going to die. Plain and simple. Like For me, self-preservation would have kicked in. I'd be like, mm-mm. I'm good. I ain't going to eat it. I don't want to die. But they still ate. And so they're freaked out because they know we're going to die. Because at this point, they hadn't died yet. So they're like, God's coming. We're dead. Literally dead. And so the most amazing thing that we see, though, is compassion. We see judgment, yes. And we see discipline. We see this blame game from Adam to Eve and to the serpent. We see judgment issued to the serpent, to Eve, to Adam. But they're basically being escorted out of the garden. And I want to read this scripture, Genesis 3.21. So while they're being escorted off the premises of the garden, it says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his, wife's, for his wife, he didn't have multiple, 
uh, garments of skin and clothed them. So remember how they had clothes made of leaves? So now he's making them like comfortable clothes? Like what is this? Like he could have killed them, wiped them, erased them completely, and started over and made a new Adam and Eve 2.0 that would have done much better. You know, here's the upgrade, old system. But he didn't. He had compassion for them, and he, and he showed mercy. Like, he clothed them. Yes, they got kicked out of the garden, but he didn't kill them. And he clothed them. And then that, to me, is amazing. There was discipline, but it was matched with, with mercy. Excuse me. So throughout Scripture, we see that God sets, sets rules, and he sets boundaries. And we do the same with our kids. We don't do that so that we can restrict them from having fun or keep them, you know, just in a box. But we do that so we can protect them and so we can guide them. And so we see all these things that God does as a father. And to me, it's, it's a great recipe for us as parents. We see how God acts. And it's something that we can try to reflect and try to strive to be, to be better. So for me, I was, I was raised to say, like most people, I would hope, to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And if I did not do that, if I did not respond in that manner with my parents, it would not go well for me. <laughs> I would be threatened with time travel. <laughs> yes. I think you know what I'm talking about. You're getting knocked into next week. Like, sometimes I was like, I wish you would. I wish you would. <laughs> this would be a little bit better, but. So, he shows mercy. The Father is merciful. And the Father is compassionate. There was a time that I did not want to show compassion for my oldest, Jocelyn. It was a few years ago, and I was leading a worship rehearsal, and it was earlier in the service, or earlier in the day, so nobody was there to watch any of the kids, and it was me and my wife, we're both on stage, about midway through the rehearsal, uh, Jocelyn comes up on stage, and she starts doing this like interpretive dance, I'm not going to try to mimic it, because it would look very bad, but it was very, you know, dainty, and, and in a way, it was kind of reverent and worshipful, and I was like, hey, that, that's kind of nice. But it was nice because it was in rehearsal and not in the actual service. Fast forward, service begins. Now, we had a special event going on during the service for, ch for the children. So they were already in the service. Halfway through the first song, you know, it's real upbeat. We're really getting into it. And I had my eyes closed, I guess, because by the time I open them, Jocelyn is halfway out of the pew already, and she's coming down the aisle, bum-rushing the stage. Like, what? No. No. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Like, we're in the middle of a song. Worship has just begun. Do I stop worship and cause an even bigger distraction, or do I just keep going and try not to show on my face that I am just... Very, very upset. So she gets on the stage and she starts doing her little dance that she did before. And I'm thinking and praying, actually, dear God, please let this be 
a beautiful dance that ministers to somebody and touches somebody's heart. And I learned that day that God answers prayers sometimes with no. (laughs) Because that didn't happen. Because I'm going through the song, and her beautiful dance turns into crazy dances, and then she's panning back and forth like this, shooting imaginary webs like Spider-Man. Do you know how hard it is to lead people to an encounter with Jesus when they're watching a four-year-old be Spider-Man? It's, it's actually really hard. It's, it's really hard. It's not easy at all. Eventually, the, the pastor's wife had gotten her off the stage, and I, I didn't know what I was going to say. I just knew it was going to be loud. And she, uh, you know, I was going to ground her from something. <laughs> and so after the service, I calmly was like, Jocelyn, I love you. And I love that you love to dance. And I love the talents and skills that God has instilled in you. But so help me, if you ever do that again, you will meet the person who gave you those talents. Don't get on the stage again. (laughs) So that was it. I just had to talk, no discipline, no grounding, no nothing. Because I had to remember, she's just four. (laughs) So it's not like my brother, who is 10 years younger than me, got on the stage and started dancing like Spider-Man. Then we would have a problem. (laughs) And different words would be said than to a child. But... It's so nice, because we all make mistakes, obviously. It's so nice that God has compassion for us. Because if he didn't, we would just, well, we would all be dead. There would be no existence, and it would be just done. So we see compassion all throughout Scripture. We see it with different people when they, when they mess up or they, they go away from what they were supposed to do, like Elijah with Jezebel, like he had just got done defeating hundreds of, of prophets of a false god. Like it was amazing. And now he's running away, hiding for his life from Jezebel. And then we have Jonah that basically threw a temper tantrum because God didn't destroy Nineveh. And then we have Peter that was walking with Christ. God himself and yet denied him when times got tough. But yet, through all of that, God still had compassion on each one of those people. I love what Psalm 78 says, and it describes God's compassion just perfectly. And it says this in 38 and 39. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. So we see that the Father is compassionate. And here's kind of what that scripture would look like if we worded it differently and played it out as in our own lives. It would be like this. So Dad, being compassionate, made obsolete their screw-ups and did not completely knock them into next week. He used self-control and didn't lose his temper. And he remembered that they were just kids. So a good father is compassionate with his children. A good, a good father is compassionate with his children. 
And God is such a great father. His, his attributes are inexhaustible. And there's so many things that we can learn from the attributes of God, especially on how to parent and how to treat our kids. So at this point, we've discussed how the father is compassionate, how he's merciful, and how he is a provider. All the things that we should do as parents. But none of those work without the greatest attribute of God, and that is love. The Father is love. There's an old hymn called The Love of God, and it's probably one of my most favorite songs. And there's a verse in there, and I'm going to word it differently to make it more, I guess, translated to modern English terms. And so here's what it would, the second verse would say. If we were to fill the oceans and every body of water with ink and make every blade of grass a pen and every person on earth a careered writer and make the entire sky the paper, it would still not be able to contain the love of God. All of that still would not be able to contain the love of God. And God gave not of an external source, but he gave of an internal source. God gave his only son, right? That we could have life. And that is love. If you look at Matthew 18, 12, this to me describes an amazing amount of love. It says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray. So sometimes when we think of shepherding, or we think of Jesus as the shepherd, sometimes my mind goes back to my grandparents' house, and I see this picture on the wall of Jesus. It's not really Jesus. It's supposed to be, but he's, you know, he's got blonde hair, and he's got blue eyes, and he's sitting casually on a rock, just chilling in the sun, and there's just a small flat field with sheep in it, no harm. <laughs> but that's not how it is. Like, in those times, there was rough terrain, there was mountains, there was rocks everywhere. The shepherd constantly had to be on guard. So, in a way, it makes absolutely no sense. It goes against human logic to leave the 99 which are safe and go after the one that is lost. But yet he does that because his love is amazing. So what are we doing as parents to show that we love our kids that much? That we would go to the ends of the world for them, that we would do anything for them, give them anything, that we would lay down our lives for them. I hope that when, of course, my kids are young now, so it's, they're at that point where they're always, Daddy, Daddy, and it's, it's nice. Eventually they'll grow up and it won't be like that. I understand that. But when they're older, will they look back and know that their dad loved them? Will they see that, that I showed them, not just told them, hey, I love you, but showed them that I love them more than anything in this world? Because that's what the Father is. The Father is love. Jesus makes more than, I think it's 150 references to God as the Father. And he uses the term in Mark, Abba, Father. 
And it simply shows this intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. And the Father isn't, he's not distant, nor does he desire to be distant. Because he desires intimacy with his children. Like he wants a relationship with them. He wants them to come to him. And that's how we should be. We should be completely accessible to our kids. Yes, there's times where we have to be alone. There's times where we have to be, um, you know, away and have our personal time. But are we still accessible? Do our kids feel like they can come to us when they're in trouble? Like when they're young, it's easy. They get hurt. We kiss it. They go on. But when they're older and they're getting in a tough spot or they really mess up, do they feel like they can come to us? Are we accessible to them? Do they know that they can trust us? So I want to ask you that question. Are we accessible to them? What are we doing in the lives of our children? Are we instilling in them the values that they need to have? Are we parenting like the father? Or are we trying to run away from what our parents were? So we should be praying that God help us to be a reflection of you. Help us to parent like you want us to parent. Right? So I want to close with this. The Father is a provider. The Father is compassionate. The Father is mercy. And above all else, the Father is love. So God, we thank you, Lord, for your provision. We thank you, God, that you are compassionate, God, that you're merciful. God, we thank you for your love. Lord, we ask that you would guide us to be the parents that you would have us to be. Lord, that we wouldn't run away from our responsibility. We wouldn't run away from our past. We wouldn't run away from what our parents did to us but we would strive to be a reflection of you. God, may our lives, may our parenting style be a reflection of you, and may our kids see you when they look at us. Lord, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.